Welcome to worship at faith this week. Psalm 24 calls us to worship today. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the King of glory. And we gather today, whenever you're watching this, whoever you are, wherever you are, we gather today to worship the King of glory. We come to hear the word of the Lord, to bring him our prayers and praises, and it is truly a blessing to be part of this conversation with the Lord. Three announcements before we begin worship. First, we've been recording these services on Thursday evenings. Welcome to those of you who are here. Uh, just a few people have been coming, but you're welcome to come if you're comfortable. You do need to register before time, and there's some social distancing and some other protocols we've been following, but you are welcome to come. We're working toward getting some new cameras and getting live streaming into place. We aren't sure of what the timeline for that would be, but we anticipate when we get all of that technology in place, we'll move these times to Sunday morning and hopefully continue in this time when we don't know anything for sure, but hopefully continue to inch more toward regular Sunday worship. A second, next Sunday, August 2, along with our regular online services, we're going to be having a brief outdoor service in the sun. That'll be at 9.30 next Sunday, August 2. We'll gather on the church lawn, bring your lawn chairs, blankets. We'll have just a brief time, maybe 30 minutes, maybe even a little bit less of some scripture reading, some prayer, a, a little bit of reflection on the scripture. And then there'll be an opportunity for properly socially distanced fellowship afterwards. So if you feel comfortable, if you don't have high risk, if if you're ready to come and gather for a brief outdoor time of worship and fellowship, you can look forward to doing that next Sunday. And of course, in these times, if you just aren't ready, if you aren't comfortable, if, if you feel like you might be especially at risk, then please stay home. Worship from home. We, we understand this is a strange time. We all have different levels of comfort. And so we want you to be able to worship the Lord in whatever way feels responsible and wise for you. A third and final announcement, coming up in a couple weeks on August 8, we have our annual Faith CRC golf outing. The proceeds from this outing go to support our Timothy Tuition Assistance Fund. It's a different date, a different venue, a few different things than usual because of the pandemic. But do check the bulletin out if you're interested in going for a, a golf outing to help support our Christian education. And now... Now, as we gather to worship, receive God's greeting. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to set us free from the present evil age, according to the will of God the Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. God welcomes us into worship. Let's together worship him through the song, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus.
as we look toward the Lord and as we raise our eyes toward Jesus, we, we also come to know ourselves more and more. And, and we, come, we come as we come to know Jesus more, to know more and to desire more, to follow God's will for our lives. Today, as a reminder of what God's will is, we're going to read a, a setting of the Ten Commandments. I'll read the whole thing, but I invite you here and at home to join in on the parts that are labeled for the people to read. So let's hear the will of the Lord for our lives. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in His ways. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who finds great delight in his commands. Direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy." Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. Therefore, you are feared. When we really absorb, when we really listen with open minds and open hearts to the Lord's will, we recognize that we fall short. We recognize more and more how broken and sinful we are. And, and so that brings us to go to the Lord in confession. For our prayer of confession today, I'm, I'm just going to briefly introduce us to a time of prayer and then give all of us a time of silence to reflect on how we ourselves may have sinned against the Lord and to confess. So let's go to our Lord in a prayer prayer time of confession. Lord, we ask that you hear each of us as we confess.
our God and our Father, our Lord and our Savior, our Comforter, and the one who makes us right. We thank you for hearing our prayers and from saving us from our guilt and our corruption. Amen. And now having confessed our sins, let's hear this assurance of pardon. This comes to us from the book of Revelation. Do not weep. See, Jesus Christ, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has triumphed. With his blood, he has purchased people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. He has made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Thanks be to the Lord for his forgiveness. Because of Christ's work, his people, we are becoming more and more priests. We are becoming more and more a people, a kingdom of those who live according to his ways. As we look forward to that, and we never... We never perfectly achieve this in our lives on this earth, but as we look forward to that, let's together sing the song, O Church Arise, and urge each other and call each other to be the church that God has called us to be. O Church, O Church Arise, and put your armor on Hear the call of Christ our captain For now the weak Can say that they are strong In the strength that God has given With shields of faith And belt of truth We'll stand against the dead Every eye and heart shall see. 
And now as the church gathered, let's go to our Heavenly Father in prayer. God of the past, the present, and the future, we so look forward to the day that we will stand with Christ in glory. We pray and we hope and we yearn for the coming of your kingdom. And we ask that although we want to do our daily tasks well now and we want to bring you glory now, that you help us to be people who also look ahead. Help us to live in perpetual, joyful anticipation of your heavenly reign. Father, we pray that you make us open to the ways that your kingdom can influence our decisions and our actions at work, at home, everywhere we go. Make us open to opportunities to serve others. We live in a world of, of anger and suspicion, of sickness and violence. We so often feel helpless and uncertain. It's easy for us to see that the world needs saving, but it's hard for us to see what we need to do. And it's even hard for us to see what you are up to. But help us as Christians to find in Jesus' work a, a reason for hope in this present moment. Lead us to be workers for peace. Lead us to be agents of healing, hope, and sanity in this world gone crazy. And even as we look, around, look at the world around us and, and all the craziness of it, we're grateful for moments of refreshment and for the blessings that you continue to give us. As a church this week, we rejoice in Jeremy and Cassidy's wedding and also in John and Megan's wedding. Bless these young couples as they begin their lives together. Use their marriage relationships as witnesses to your love and your grace in the lives of all of your people. And Father, here in this place, here in our church, along with our joys, you see all our needs and our hurts. Stand close to all of those who struggle and worry. Bless students and teachers, parents and administrators as we look toward this coming school year with many plans and also many doubts and with so many concerns and so much uncertainty. Be with parents who are worrying about their children as they grow up and be with children who are worrying about their parents as they grow old. Lift the clouds of depression from those who wrestle so mightily and so often with their emotions. Give some relief to those who battle chronic pain. Lead those who are unemployed or who are deeply worried about finances into more peaceful and prosperous times. Lord God, you alone see each of us as we truly are. And so we beg that you take care of each of us according to our needs. Minister to us according to our hurts. Heal each of us in the places where we are broken and sick. And our Lord, in spite of all the troubles in the world, in spite of all the heaviness of our hearts, we still gather to worship and adore you because you are our God and because you are a God of wonder and glory. And so we ask that you guide us by your spirit and walk with us every day. Amen. As we usually have this week, I'm going to give a brief offering update. First, I want to say how grateful we are as church leaders for all the ways that, that you have served in the past few months. We are grateful for those who have helped with recording these services and getting them distributed to the congregation and to others. We're grateful for those who've kept up the facility, for those who have led ministries as we've all of a sudden had to go online and dealt with a whole new world. 
And we're thankful for those who have given financially. And as, as you are able, we ask that each of you, that all of us together, continue to give of our time, of our energy, of our resources, of all that we have to build up the church and to serve the Lord. We also want to encourage you, if you are in need, if you have some special needs or particular concerns at this time, that you get in touch with one of the church leaders, with a, a deacon, an elder, with one of the pastors. We want to be able to help you as much as we're able. This week, as we prepare, the, prepare to hear the word of the Lord, Donna will be playing a song, Like a River Glorious, and as she prays, I'd ask that you take this time to reflect on the grace of God and also to prepare your heart to hear the Lord speak to us through his word. As we prepare to read God's word, let's again go to him in prayer. Father, we bring ourselves, our lives, our world before you now. And we pray that in this time that we hear from Ecclesiastes and we reflect together on your word, that you shine your light on us. Help us to see where there may be darkness in our lives that, that needs your light. Help us to see where we may be doing less than you have called and enabled us to do. Help us to understand how much your grace changes everything. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're continuing our series on Ecclesiastes this week. We're going to be reading from Ecclesiastes 5, chapter, from Ecclesiastes 5, verses 8 to 20. And I want to I preface the message a little bit today. As I was looking at this series and, and as I was thinking about which text to preach and how to preach them, this was a text that I actually kind of wanted to skip because it's a really, really hard text in these days. It's a text that's about oppression. It's a text that's about injustice and greed and wealth and power and broken systems and, and all kinds of trouble. And when I was looking at it in the spring, I thought, that's going to be a hard one, but we better cover it. And then a couple months ago with George Floyd's death and, and everything that came after that, our country has just exploded in questions of justice and injustice and, and oppression and good order. And, and we're just swimming in these issues these days. And there is, 
There is so much anger, so much fear, so much concern. And so to be honest with you, I, I struggled this week with how to preach this text well because, because I don't want you to hear what I have to say about all the things in this world. I, I really, frankly, don't think you need to care that much what I think. But what I want you to hear, what I want all of us to hear and be challenged and maybe be encouraged by is what the Lord thinks. You know, sometimes we, sometimes we want to stand on God's word and just proclaim to other people what we think, or we want to use the Bible as a club to beat them into submission. And, and there are ways that the Bible gives us a place to stand and, and ways that the Bible is, is God's sword to defeat evil. But before we can do any of that, we need to let God's word, we need to let God's word be above us and, and we need to listen to it. And so today, my goal is just to really help us listen to what the Lord has to say about oppression and think a little bit about what that means for us today. And I want to offer you an invitation, too. If, if you hear this message and there's things that really resonate with you and you want to say, yes, and we should continue that conversation, give me a call. Shoot me an email. Let's, let's keep talking about these hard things. And along with that, if you hear some things that I say and you say, no, that's not right. Matthew, I'm hearing what you have to say, not what the Lord has to say. Well, then give me a call or shoot me an email and let's talk about that. And let's talk about how, how what you heard you don't feel like lines up with Scripture. Again, you don't need to agree or disagree with me. But all of us need to agree with and live according to the word of the Lord. So with that, let's read from Ecclesiastes chapter 5 from verse 8 to verse 20. This is the word of the Lord for us today. If you see the poor oppressed in a district and justice and rights denied, do not be surprised at such things. For one official is eyed by a higher one, and over them both are others higher still. The increase from the land is taken by all. The king himself profits from the fields. Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This, too, is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owner except to feast his eyes on them? The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether he eats little or much. But the abundance of a rich man permits him no sleep. I have seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owner, or wealth lost through some misfortune, so that when he has a son, there is nothing left for him. Naked a man comes from his mother's womb, and as he comes, so he departs. He takes nothing from his labor that he can carry in his hand. This, too, is a grievous evil. As a man comes, so he departs, and what does he gain since he toils for the wind? All his days he eats in darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anger. Then I realized that it is good and proper for a man to eat and drink and to find satisfaction in his toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given him, for this is his lot. Moreover, when God gives any man wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot, and to be happy in his work, this is a gift of God. He seldom reflects on the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with gladness of heart. 
For this sermon, as we reflect on that text together, I'm going to tell a tragic story and then, and then show two harsh realities this text brings us to and then offer three life-giving practices. So a tragic story, two harsh realities, and then three practices of Christian hope. We're going to start with the tragic story of Emmanuel and Juliana Belea. The tragic story of this couple from Nigeria. And I think we have a picture of them also we could put on the screen for just a moment. So Emmanuel, Emmanuel was a very well-known and very well-respected pastor in the Christian Reformed Church of Nigeria. But as, as many of us know, Nigeria is a country that's full of conflict. The northern half of the country is Muslim, basically. The southern half is Christian. And so in the middle belt, there's constant political and religious and social tension. Well, one day, a few months ago, Pastor Emmanuel and his wife Juliana and a, and a teenager from their church were out on some farmland that the church owns. And there, pretty much everybody has some farmland that supplements their income or, or gives them some extra food to get through. And they know, Emmanuel and his family know it's dangerous to be out there. There's been a lot of unrest, a lot of violence. People have been killed out in their fields in their area. But, but the choice you face is you stay home, your farm goes to the weeds, and, and you don't have any food when harvest time comes, or you go out and you risk violence. No good choices here. Well, as Emmanuel and Juliana and that young boy are out in the field, they see an armed mob coming. And it's a fairly open area, so they see them from a distance away. So, so they start running, and they think they might get away, but then the mob starts shooting at them. And Juliana gets shot, and she falls. So Emmanuel turns around to help his wife, and the mob shoots him. And both Emmanuel and his wife die out on the farm. And the teenager they're with manages to get to his bike, and, and he manages to get away and, and tell the story. Now, when we hear this tragic story, and if we know anything about Nigeria, we might quickly jump into, oh, it was a, it was a Muslim group. It was, it was some other people. It was those bad, evil people out there. But when we dig more into the story, and all in our faithful reflections email that I send out next Tuesday, I'll include a link to an article that gives you a lot more background and a lot more of that story. But when we actually dig into that story, we find that that, that armed mob, those people who came and gunned down a pastor and his wife on their own land, working their own field, that mob was probably all Christians. That mob had probably been in church listening to God's word and singing his praises the Sunday before. This, this wasn't about religion. This was about land rights. And the church that Emmanuel served was, was at a place in Nigeria where three different tribes, the, the Jukin, the Iken, and the Teve, they all kind of have this territory that they claim. And all of those tribes are getting larger and larger, and there's more and more population pressure, and, and there isn't more and more land. So people are fighting and fighting over who gets to farm the land. And often people are poor enough that farming or not farming can make the difference between, between surviving or not surviving. And so any time that there's any trouble between anybody from any of those tribes, the violence starts. There's always this simmering mess, and then it boils over, and terrible things happen. As far as we can tell, Emmanuel and his wife were doing absolutely nothing wrong. But still... Still, they were, they were killed. 
because the world is wrong, they died. I tell that story, I tell that story to to help us get a picture of a couple harsh realities that this text opens up for us. And the first harsh reality is that we're all involved in oppression. Sometimes it's easier to see that when we look around the world than, we look at, than when we look in our own neighborhoods. But, but in one way or another, this text wants us to hear that, that we can hardly help it, that we just get sucked into things that are corrupt and broken and oppressive. That's what Ecclesiastes gives us a picture of in verse 8 of this text. If you see the poor oppressed in a district and justice and rights denied, don't be surprised by such things. For one official is eyed by a higher one, and over them both are others higher still, and the increase from the land is taken by all. And the king himself, the king himself profits from the fields. What these verses show us is a pyramid of oppression. A pyramid of oppression. That the people at the bottom, they have no power. They have no rights. They have no ability to make things better. And and the officials above them, well, they take their slice, but they also need to make sure the officials above them are kept happy so they take from the poor people to pass up the chain. And it goes up and up and up the pyramid until even the king. And you know, the king is supposed to be in the ancient world a representative of the gods. He is supposed to be the source of justice. He is supposed to be the one who does things right. But even the king, even the king takes his cut from the poor. And the text shows us that reality and it tells us, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when you see oppression in the world. It's just how the world works. People with power are always taking advantage of people without power. And the people with power, they tend to create structures and they tend to perpetuate systems that keep them in power and keep the oppressed down. And actually, we as, we as a Reformed church and we as Reformed Christians, should, we should kind of expect that. We often think of sin first in terms of the guilt it creates in us. That we sin, we do wrong, and we accrue guilt. But there's a second dynamic of of sin, that sin creates and sin breeds corruption. And we, we affirm total depravity in our church. And that doesn't mean that we're all as bad as we possibly can be, but it does mean that all of us, and all the parts of our lives, and all the parts of our societies, that there's sin involved everywhere. And so even if we are not personally guilty of oppression, we really really can't avoid oppressive systems. Whether it's at work, or in our neighborhood, or or in any part of our lives, it's incredibly hard to, to not get sucked into things that we know aren't right, but that seem beyond our ability to change. Sin is so pervasive in the world that, that we can't get away from oppression. We just can't. Very few of us die from, from oppression like Emmanuel and his, his wife did. And very few of us face troubles at that level in our circles. But, but in this world, we can't totally get away from that kind of trouble. 
Even in our country, where we have a lot of systems that work wonderfully well, where, where we can expect justice and often get it, still our politics and our social solutions, even the best that we have, give birth to problems and create trouble. That's where we are in this broken world. And another, another harsh reality is that all of this mess doesn't really do us any good. Even the oppressors, even the king, at the end of his life, he ends up empty-handed. These things that people fight for, the wealth that we try to accrue, all that we do, well, when we pass away, we lose it all. And the text piles up description after description here. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. Wealth is hoarded to a wealthy man's harm. Wealth is lost from from misfortune. We come into this world with nothing. We leave this world with nothing. As we come, so we depart. And Ecclesiastes wants us to to look at the world and recognize that, that whether we're on the upside or the downside, we all end up leaving the world with nothing. And the text wants us to get that so that we take a hard look at where we find our security. Often we find our security in in the home that we buy or the home that we hope to buy and in the bank account that we have or in the retirement plan that we're vested in. You know, in these days, these days it seems like what we're often looking for is political capital, that we expect there to be some political or social movement. And I think this is true of all ends of the political spectrum, that that we think that the right leader or the right movement or or the right cause or the right what have you will finally get us to where we need to be. But all those leaders will pass away. All those causes, whether they succeed or fail, will not transform the world to be how it's supposed to be. Certainly we can and we should as believers work for what's better in the world, but Ecclesiastes is telling us, don't Don't be too enthusiastic about the world's ability to make itself better. Even when it feels like we're moving forward, well, we might actually end up going backwards. So often in life, even with our best intentions, even with our best intentions, we don't manage to actually make things better in a long-term, really, really inclusive and sustainable way. Ecclesiastes well, Ecclesiastes wants us to come to despair in one sense. Ecclesiastes wants to, wants to look at the reservoir of false hopes that we've built up, and Ecclesiastes wants to punch a hole in the bottom and let all of our false hope just drain away. Ecclesiastes wants us to get that, that life in this world is, is hard and harsh. And the reason Ecclesiastes wants to puncture our false hope is because as long as we're putting our hope in the wrong things, we will never put our hope in the right things. Ecclesiastes wants to puncture the illusions that we have that the next politician or the next social movement or the next this or the next that will save us so that we do look toward the Lord and the life that he gives us. So I want us to acknowledge these harsh realities, to admit that the world is broken and hard and and we can't fix it and often we're part of the problem. 
But I want us to get, and I think Ecclesiastes wants us to get to that place so that we can make a turn and so that we can see the ways that that the Christian faith, that Jesus Christ opens up for us to pursue true life. So I want to talk for the rest of the message tonight about three life-giving practices, three practices that that can help us to find hope in this broken world. And I'm going to talk about them in terms of good, better, and best. So the first life-giving practice for tonight is to enjoy the good. This text tells us that, that we can't avoid trouble and that wealth doesn't solve anything. And in fact, the wealthier you get, in some respects, the more trouble you have. But then this text also gives us glimmers of hope. It tells us that for the laborer, his rest is sweet. When you do work well, when you do good work, at the end of the day, you can be content. And Ecclesiastes says it's good and proper for people to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their labor. And it talks about how when God gives us wealth and possessions and and enables us to enjoy them, that is truly a gift from God. Ecclesiastes wants us to see the trouble in life, but, but it doesn't want us to be stuck there. It wants us also to be able to enjoy what God has given us. And we could talk about the blessings we all personally have, but But in this hard year, in this challenging time, I want us to think a little bit about the blessings that we have as a nation and as a society. And to help us do that, I'm going to read a little bit from an article by Kevin DeYoung, who's a a Presbyterian pastor. And as he he recently reflected on racism and and the oppression that we've seen and the protests and the violence and, and all the things that from all sides of the political aisle we can say that's not right. Well, DeYoung reflects on that, but then then he goes on to make another point. And he says, "Let's, let's not miss the good. Let's not miss what we really do agree on. We may not tell the history of America the same way. We may not assess the current state of racism in America in the same way. But don't miss that it is something that virtually everyone wants an end to police brutality. And virtually everyone wants an end to racism. We want people to be valued, to be treated the same way. We don't want people to be fearful for their lives. We don't want there to be unnecessarily harsh interactions with police officers. We don't want stores to be looted and destroyed. We don't want police officers to be spat upon. Now, you can find people in extremes in either direction who will say, I do want those things, and it's part of the revolution. But look, that's not where most everyone is. You know, when we pay attention to the day-to-day news cycle... We hear so much that's wrong in the world. We hear so much that's wrong in our country, and we can be depressed. But at the same time, when we think of all the things that we do agree on, when we think of the ways that we have made progress in the last decades, when when we think of the freedoms we still enjoy, we have a lot of good to give thanks for and to enjoy. For all the troubles we see, and they are there, and we cannot deny them, For all those troubles, we also have true blessings. And we can give thanks for the lives that God has given us and for all his gifts to us. So I think we need to to really enjoy what's good. But along with that first practice, we we need to go on and we need to talk about two more. And the second life-giving practice is that along with enjoying what's good, we need to work for what's better. 
Earlier I said we should expect the world to be broken and corrupt, and because of sin we should. And I've just now said that we should enjoy good in the world because there is a lot of good in the world. But then as as Christians, we're called to work so that there is less evil and so that there is more good in the world. We are called to try to change the world as much as we can so that it fits with God's will. We as believers ought to work for the God-ordained vision that the scriptures give us of justice and peace, of people being able simply to enjoy their work and enjoy their lives and to be content because these are gifts from God. We will never reach perfection in this life. We won't, we won't get up there. But we might be able to make some progress. Seth Templeton is a Baltimore police officer. And, and a month or so ago, maybe a little more now, Seth wrote a reflection piece for the Baltimore Sun newspaper. And he wrote it as a letter from, from him as a police officer to a protester. And in that letter, I, I think he does a pretty good job of acknowledging some of the real challenges that that we as a country face these days with civilian police interaction. And he talks about how hard it is to be a police officer and how he's often tempted just to walk away and find an easier career where he could be sure of more respect and more safety. But But then he pulls back the camera, so to speak, and and he thinks about our society. And then he writes this. He writes this. It is evident to me that one of the ingredients that causes the arc of history to bend toward justice is sacrifice. And let me read that sentence again. It is evident to me that one of the ingredients that causes the arc of history to bend toward justice is sacrifice. I choose to suffer for the benefit of the whole because that is the task that best suits my disposition. I break my back by pulling the weeds and hauling the water and tilling the garden of our society, all so that plants may grow. Now, there is is much more to be said, but that's a good beginning place. Sacrifice bends the arc of history toward justice. And as the people of the Lord, we have a calling to embrace sacrifice. We have a calling to suffer even for the sake of our neighbors and for our broader society. And we can have all kinds of discussions and raise all kinds of really important and necessary questions about what our best strategies are. We might legitimately disagree that that this political move or that political move is the best strategy to deal with the troubles we face. But as Christians, we are called to pull the weeds and haul the water and till the garden of our society in the hope that better plants can grow. So often in this life, there is a vicious circle of people only seeking what's best for themselves. And and as we do that, other people strike back at us, and it goes on and on and on. That armed mob that that shot Emmanuel and his wife down in the field, well, well, just a day or two later, their whole village was burned to the ground, and they became refugees. And then a few days later, their tribe came back and burned several other villages. And it went back and forth and back and forth. And in the end, in the end, probably hundreds of homes were burned to the ground. Many lives were lost. The fields were left to go to the weeds. And everybody, everybody's life got worse. 
That's how the world works. But we as Christians are called, even when there is sacrifice involved, to undo that cycle. To try to create a cycle of justice and hope instead of oppression and hopelessness. And maybe, just maybe, the sacrifices we make, the suffering we endure, the work that we do, it might just move the compass of our society a little bit more toward justice and a little bit more toward peace. Our sacrifices can really make a difference. But in the end, our sacrifices are not the answer. Up to this point in this sermon, I've mostly been been keeping with Ecclesiastes' perspective of life under the sun. And Ecclesiastes spends a lot of time looking at this earth and and saying how bad things are and then giving some measure of hope. But, But where Ecclesiastes really fits with the rest of Scripture and where it wants to get us is to be able to look above the sun and see how the Lord's work transforms everything. So for our last and probably the most important life-giving practice we're going to talk about today, we need to trust God for the best. Ecclesiastes tells us that we can only find satisfaction, enjoyment, and happiness in the Lord. All of these things are a gift from God. This book, Ecclesiastes in particular, the Bible as a whole, is not is not what I would call optimistic about human history. It does not paint us a pretty picture of life in the world, and it does not tell us to expect an easy walk. But Ecclesiastes and the whole story of the Bible are very clear that we can trust God for the best. We live on this oppressive planet. We, we in our lifetimes on this earth, may never see perfection But the Bible does make it clear that the Lord is working all things together for our good. Seth, that Baltimore police officer, says that one of the ingredients that causes the arc of history to bend toward justice is sacrifice. And I don't know if Seth is a Christian or not. I wonder if he is based on that. But even if he isn't, that phrase, that sacrifice bends the arc of history toward justice, well, that phrase has has deeply Christian overtones. Because you see, it is Christ's sacrifice and only Christ's sacrifice that truly has bent the arc of history. Christ's sacrifice has taken a world that was, boy, that was headed downhill. And his suffering, his death, the oppression and an unjust experience that he had at the hands of the authorities of his day And his journey through death, all of that put him in a place where when he rose again, he ascended and he reigns. The arc of history, because of Jesus' resurrection, we can say that the arc of history, the story may be long and it may be difficult and there may be ups and downs along the way, but we can trust that that arc will end in true justice and true peace. The Bible assures us that at the end, the Lord will give us what we need to be content, to enjoy life, and to be happy. The Lord will do away with all oppression and evil and injustice. And that's that's the hope we have. And trusting in the Lord for that is the most life-giving practice that we can develop and that we need to develop in this world. One of the key problems in most of the political and social movements around us is that they're based on something else 
or someone else besides Jesus Christ. And, and all those plans, if they are not rooted in the Lord Jesus Christ, they will fail and they will fall. Only Christ's power is enough to transform this broken world. And so as the people of the Lord, it is Christ's power that gives us hope and peace. When we look to Jesus as our almighty king, we are set free to enjoy whatever good the Lord gives us in this sad and broken world. And when we look to Jesus as king, we are, we are equipped and empowered to work for the better, to do our best to, to move the compass, to make this world a better place. And when we trust in the Lord, when we trust in the Lord, we finally find the liberating freedom to to give up on our own self-salvation projects, to look to Jesus and to see how he sets us free and how he will bring us to the best, to the new heavens and the new earth where all will be right. So let us, let us live in the hope that Christ alone brings. And in that hope, let's pray. Father, so often lately, life feels muddled and hopeless. We see so many troubles and problems around us, and, and most of us can't do anything to solve any of it. Father, we pray that you help us to be honest about that. Help us to be honest about our limitations. Help us to be honest and realistic about the limitations of of our nation, of our government, of all human beings. And help us to be honest about the injustice and, and the sin that drives so many of our projects. But Lord, we pray that you keep us as your people from despair. Help us along with seeing the bad in this world to be able to really see the good. Open our eyes to the blessing you have given to each of us and to the blessings you have given us in our nation and, and even all around this world. And Lord, we pray that you give us enthusiasm and energy and, and wisdom to engage with this world to make it better. Help us to work for your kingdom now and to, to be able to see some glimpses of life being right. And Lord, we pray that you continually renew and refresh our hope and our faith in you, that you will make all things right, that you will take care of your people forever. And we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. And let's respond to God's word now through song. We'll, we'll together through this song lead on, O King Eternal, commit ourselves to forever serving our eternal King. Let's sing.
And now receive this parting blessing. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the sevenfold spirit before his throne and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over all the kings of the earth. Go in peace to love and serve our Lord.